morning. Did you notice that we have a pianist back there today? Thank you, Lord. Our pianist's name is Erica, and she is like a breath of fresh air. She's such, she is so um, filled with the Holy Spirit. She just has the spirit about her and is a blessing. So make sure each of you get to know Erica today. We have Frank and Carolyn, our wonderful pastor, who will, uh, we're gonna pray for and send out today. They're heading back to Turkey. So um, Kathy's gonna be doing the prayer request, but please put a big sign on your refrigerator at home. So every time you go by, you'll pray for Frank and Caroline and that we will hear all the wonderful things God is going to use them in this time. Yes, yeah. Heavenly Father, we do praise and we thank you for the day that you have given. This is the day that you have given. And we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. And we do know that a man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from you. So this day, Lord, let every word that comes from you be written upon our hearts and our minds that we might be filled with your presence and praise for the living God who loves us and who has saved us. We praise and thank you, Lord, and we do want you to be in our midst today. I ask you to bless and to keep our wonderful Pastor Frank as he brings us the message today. And we lift up Pastor Ray as he is struggling with this COVID. We ask you to bring healing to him today in Jesus name. Amen. Good morning. Little as much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and who can win it if we go in Jesus name. It was love. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness I have drawn you. Many people have difficulty believing that God is love. How could it be when the world is filled with so much suffering and evil? It is not an easy issue, but if you really want to know the reality of love, look to the cross. It was the divine love that made Christ endure the cross, despising the shame. It was love that restrained him when he was falsely accused of blasphemy and was led to Golgotha to die with common thieves. He raised not a hand against his enemies. It was love that kept him from calling legions of angels to come to his defense. <clears throat> it was love that made him, in a moment of agonizing pain, pause and give hope to a repentant sinner who cried, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And it was love that caused Jesus to lift his voice and pray, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Does God love us? Yes. And the proof is in the cross. And the hope for today, God showed us his love in a way that could never be questioned. Whatever comes our way, we can look to the cross and know without a doubt that our heavenly Father loves us. The answer to how do I know? Always look to the cross.
Oh, you can Got to hold the fort down, somebody.
Psalm 20. It's a psalm of the greatest encouragement you could want. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. That's a prayer. We can do the Lord's Prayer now if you'd like to stand with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Testament reading today begins from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, and I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast <laughs> twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Hey, if you'll join me now in our responsive reading. Blessed God, who danced in our heart, filling us with the knowledge of your presence, let your proclamation sing forth from us as it sang from the lips of Hannah and Elizabeth, announcing the coming of your promise and the fulfillment of your desire. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the creator of all, you have created this universe and all that is in it and within our little planet, all that's here, all that will ever be here will be here because of you. And everything that we have is on loan from you. And you tell us to 
we need to give back. We need to humble ourselves, share also what you have been so generous sharing with us, and help others who have, for one reason or another, have not come to know you, to, re to learn of you, to reach you, and understand your love. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, our text this morning is John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. So we'll get right up to John 16, but uh, uh, turn that over to Ray next week. Um, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind, wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lift up this, lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So, um, at verse 1 it says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was... Um, uh, we, we know four things about Nicodemus. Number one, that he was wealthy. Um, uh, because it says, it talks, uh, there's a scripture, and when Jesus' body was on the cross, and Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus uh, asked Pilate to take the body, and they did. And they put 75 pounds of uh, myrrh and aloes on his body, and they're expensive. And so we're assuming that, uh, um, that Nicodemus was wealthy. Second thing, he was a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees were, the word itself means the separated one. And they formed closed communities with very strict rules for admission. Um, they had a month or even one year probation period during the course of which a, the person desiring admittance into the Pharisees, had to prove his ability to keep the whole law. All right? The ritual law. Um, there were never more than 6,000 Pharisees. They took an oath before three witnesses to observe every detail of the law. Now, the scribes worked out the principles. They were the teachers. They were the uh, the ones who worked with the law and defined what it meant and all that. But it was the Pharisees and they were, um, who dedicated themselves to keeping all the law. Um, they spent their whole lives trying to obey everything written in the law. They were the people's party. They represented the common people. 
the scribes were often, you know, more educated and so on, but the Pharisees were the common people. And so the people looked to them as models of voluntary commitment to piety, um, as, though, as examples to, to everybody. So they were men of the people with little or no, usually, scribal education, earnest, self-sacrificing. But, of course, they were often, um, you know, they were very much legalistic. They considered themselves to be the true Israel. And uh, Matthew 23, 23 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter. In other words, you shouldn't, you know, it's, it's fine, all those details and everything, um, without neglecting the former. You blind guides, and I think this phrase pretty much uh, sums up what the Pharisees were. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. All right? Um, I also often think of that phrase. Um, and the Pharisees would carefully strain their drinking water whenever they drank, um, through a cloth in order to keep from swallowing a gnat which was unclean, okay? So they were given to minutia and detail in keeping all the law. Now, the law in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the first five books of, uh, of, <coughs> of our Bible, was, had broad, wide principles and the Pharisees were committed to keeping not just the Old Testament law, the five books of Moses, but the Mishnah and the Talmud. The Mishnah was a codified scribal law, okay? So you had, you know, you had the Old Testament, and then the scribes would, would tell what that means, and then the Talmud was the explanatory commentary on the Mishnah. Now, the reason that that's significant is that the Pharisees were committed to keeping all of it. Not just the Old Testament, but the, the Mishnah, the Talmud, the whole ball of wax, they were committed, dedicated, and gave an oath that they would obey every piece, every bit of the law. So, for example, Exodus chapter 20, beginning verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Okay, now there's the broad principle, all right? Um, but they, they put together, okay, what does it mean to work then? Well... To tie a knot on the Sabbath was to work. But what's a knot? Well, a knot is the knot of camel drivers and of sailors. They couldn't tie or untie a, tie, a, a knot. They could only tie with one hand. So whatever you could tie with one hand, they could, uh, they, they could tie. Well, so, for example, if they were to lower a, a bucket down to a well, they would have to tie a knot, right? Well... Further says that a woman may tie up a slit in her shift and the strings of her cap and those of her girdle, the straps of shoes or sandals, or skins of wine and oil. So if you can't tie a knot to lower a well in, or a bucket into a well, but you could if you, if you put a woman's girdle on it. 
So they would put a girdle on it, and then they could, then they could lower the, the bucket into the well. So, you know, it, it became pretty ridiculous, some of, the, some of the regulations that they had to keep. Um, Exodus 16.29 says, Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone does this day where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. Okay, so what does it mean to go out? All right. Well, a Sabbath day journey was 1,000 yards. But if a rope was tied across the end of a street, the whole street became one house, and a man could go 1,000 yards beyond the end of the street. Okay? So, so you know, it, it, it became, it, some of the things became really ridiculous that they were uh, trying to keep. They were not to, um, they were avoid sexual temptation. And so to avoid that, they had a practice of lowering their heads and not even looking at women. And the most scrupulous of those were known as bleeding Pharisees because of frequent collisions with walls and other obstacles. Okay, so, um, you know, so they were committed to keeping all of it. All right. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee. It also says that he was a ruler of the Jews. Okay, now what that means is that he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was composed of 70 members and had religious jurisdiction over all the Jews in the world. It wasn't just in, you know, the Jews in Jerusalem. They had religious jurisdiction over any Jew in any part of the world at that time, the known world. And one of the duties was to examine every prophet who came to be from God. And that's why uh, we see often the Sanhedrin would you know, be passing judgment and, and examining Jesus to find out wh whether he was a true prophet or not. Furthermore, we find out that Nicodemus belonged to a distinguished Jewish family. He was a Jewish aristocrat. All right? So one of the leading families in, in the whole land. So we say that for this. It was pretty extraordinary that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Nick, uh, Jesus, who was a poor carpenter from Galilee, no prophet was supposed to come from Galilee, Galilee and, 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 and Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jews, this member of the Sanhedrin, came to this poor carpenter and, and to ask him, ask him questions. Now, I think that he probably did become a believer uh, because he is... With Joseph of Arimathea, he's one of those that took the body down from the cross and laid it in the tomb. And uh, so probably, I'm guessing, that Nicodemus did become a believer in Jesus. But the question is, why did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? All right? Well, there's two, uh, two ideas. And one is that he was cautious about having others see him with Jesus. Okay? Um, yes, he's... You know, he'll, he'll go to Jesus, but he's going to make sure that it's in the cover of night. Um, I don't particularly like that explanation. I think that he wanted to have a private meeting with Jesus. And the rabbi said that if you're going to study, study at night. When, you know, there's not the hubbub and all the coming and going and everything. Uh, study at night. And so I believe that he went to Jesus because Jesus wouldn't have the crowds around him at that time. And he could have a private meeting with him and actually be able to talk and so on. So we don't know, but we're just guessing. So Nicodemus came to Jesus, uh, verse, verses 2 through 4. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, 
We know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Okay? And then Nicodemus comes back to him and he says, How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And so Nicodemus then misunderstood when Jesus said, You've got to be born again. And Jesus turns Nicodemus' statement around to talk about what Nicodemus' real need is, which is that he is a sinner, he needs to be born again. So let's talk then about um, the sinful nature, the deficiency of law. Because Nicodemus was not only, you know, he was a, he was a Jew and a, uh, an aristocratic Jew, but he was also a sinner. And so Jesus, you know, put this back to Nicodemus and said, the problem is sin. It's the sinful nature. And whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you still have a sinful nature. You still have to deal with the same thing. Romans 8.3 says, what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Okay, the law was weak. Because of the sinful nature. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Matthew 5.20 For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, now that's interesting. We just talked about how the Pharisees were committed to keeping all of the law, the Old Testament law, the Mishnah, and the Talmud. God's law contains 248 commands and 365 prohibitions, and they were determined to keep them all. They also added 1,521 additions. So they had 2,134 commands and prohibitions. And, and so you say, okay, so Jesus says, um, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, well, are you going to have to keep 3,000, you know, uh, you know, how can you exceed, how can you surpass what the Pharisees were trying to do in obeying every, you know, everything in the law? So it must have been quite a blow when Jesus said that these pious and popular individuals could not even get into the kingdom of God unless they surpassed what the Pharisees did. They were very strict. They were meticulous. Well, their righteousness had to exceed that of the Pharisees, not in degree, not in, in more laws, in more regulations, and more commands and prohibitions, but in kind. Our righteousness has to be a different kind of righteousness. That's what Jesus is pointing out. It's a different kind of concept of, of who he is, and it's a different kind of righteousness that they had to obey. It's not that the Christian can keep 240 of the commands and the Pharisees could keep only 230. No, Christian righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees because it is a righteousness of the heart. It's deeper internal rather than shallow and external. So Jesus took Nicodemus down to a deeper level. He said the problem is not in trying to keep more rules and regulations, there has to be something deep inside. There has to be a change inside, a righteousness of the heart. And that's what we call the sarks, okay? John 3, 6. 
Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, the sarks is uh, sometimes translated in the New Testament as flesh, other times as sinful nature. I like better the, the definition of sinful nature. But there are different connotations to the word sarks, okay? And sarks can mean, that's the Greek word, that can mean uh, just our flesh is our flesh and blood and our bodies, you know. We all have flesh and blood. We're, we're you know, we're, phys we're, we're physical, we, we're human, we're moral, mortal, and so on. But when Jesus is using this, he's using flesh as the willing instrument of sin. So he's talking about, in this case, the sinful nature. We all have a sinful nature. And the sinful nature is human nature centered in self-reliance, self-determination, alienation from God. Remember when we talked in Genesis, and mankind fell. Mankind took it upon himself. He said, I don't need God. I can do, do just fine. And, and isn't our culture a lot? Heading in that direction, we can do just fine. We don't need God. The flesh cannot please God. The flesh is hostile to God. So the basic problem is that man is inherently and innately evil. There's something deeply wrong in the inside of us. Society is not corrupted man. Our, you know, secular humanism, uh, basically where our, much of our culture is going is that um, we are, there's, secular humanism said there's no problem in the heart of man. Man, you know, is just fine, but it's society that corrupts man. All right? Jesus says it's man that corrupts society. If you put man in any kind of society anywhere, he's going to corrupt it because the problem is not in the culture and, you know, uh, government or whatever it is, the problem is in the heart of man. There's something deeply wrong in each one of us. Nothing good lives in our sinful nature. It's utterly opposed to the Spirit of God and, and also dwells within us as believers. Our sinful nature, even, even when we're believers, we still have a sinful nature, but we have the ability to choose not to obey that. So, God made us to be like planets. Um, and this is, this is um, um, Tozer said this, around and around they go, held by the magnetic attraction of the sun. We revolved around God as a planet around its sun. Then one day the little planet said, I'll be on my, my own sun, away with this God, and man fell. Okay? So Tozer compared sin with cancer. He said, sin has symptoms and manifestations just as cancer has certain manifestations. The symptoms are not the cancer. If you clear up the symptoms, you still have the cancer. Sin also has manifestations, many manifestations. Paul gives a list of them in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So, you know, in Galatians chapter 5, it gives a, the symptoms of what sin is. But the problem is, there's still sin, there's still a basic problem. All of those are only symptoms of a basic problem within the heart of man, and that is 
sin. Barclay illustrates the concept of the sinful nature this way. It says, the essence of the flesh is this. No army can invade a country from the sea unless it can obtain a bridgehead. Temptation would be powerless to affect man unless there was something already in man to respond to temptation. Sin could gain no foothold in man's mind and heart and soul and life unless there was an enemy within the gates who was willing to open the door to sin. So the problem is there's an enemy outside. There's the, the world and all that stuff that's going on. But there's something in us that opens the door and says, come on in. The flesh is exactly the bridgehead through which sin invades a human personality. The flesh is like the enemy within the gates who opens the way to the enemy who is pressing in through the gates. So Jesus then took Nicodemus to the core of the problem and the core of the answer. The core of the problem is that there's something deeply flawed in each and every one of us. But he also took them to the answer. And the answer is, you've got to be born again. Verse 3, in reply, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of the water and the spirit. Verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Verse 8, so it is with everyone born of the spirit. So Jesus says, there's a, <clears throat> the, the problem is sin. The solution is, you've got to be born again. Um, you can't, it's not just a matter of trying harder and so on. You've got to be born again. There, so there are different uh, things that this word means, okay, uh, in the Greek. And first of all, it means from the beginning, or complete, or radical. There's a radical change that has to take place inside of us, okay? The, the problem is radical. The solution has to be radical. <clears throat> Second thing that it means is for uh, again, that we have to be born again or a second time. Okay? And that's the way that Nicodemus took it. He said, how can we be born what is old? And Nicodemus said, how can you enter a second time into your mother's womb? Nicodemus said, I, I don't get this. I don't get why we need to be born, you know, again, from our mother. And what Nicodemus was saying is that I know that it is necessary, but in my experience, it's impossible. So Nicodemus is not questioning whether it's necessary. He's just saying, how can you do that? How can you be born? How can you go back into your mother, mother's womb? How can you be born a second time? So it wasn't the desirability of the change that Nicodemus is questioning, but the possibility. He said, I don't get it. How, how can that happen? Well, it is a mystery. Nicodemus is up against the eternal problem, the problem of the man who wants to be changed and who cannot change himself. So that's where we are. The sinful nature is such that we, we want to be changed. We all want to be changed. We know that there's something wrong. Every person knows that there's something wrong but can't do that, doesn't know how to do it, doesn't know the road, can't do it in their own strength. Lastly, the, the word uh, to be born again can mean born from above. It's born from heaven. Okay, We're born again a second time, but we're born from heaven. 
It's heaven coming to earth. Okay. So it says in that we need to be born of the water and of the spirit. Ephesians 1.7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, water is a symbol of washing, okay? So the first thing that we need to do is to be washed of our sin, to be forgiven of our sins, to be able to start all over again. But the second part is that the spirit is a spirit of power. So we need to be cleansed. We're cleansed from our sin so that we can start all over. But we need to have power in order to be able to do what we need to do. So when Jesus takes possession of our lives, it's not only that the past is forgotten and forgiven. If that were all, we might well proceed to make the same mess of life all over again, Barclay says. But into life, there enters a new power, which enables us to do what by ourselves we could never be and to do what by ourselves we could never do. So we need the cleansing. We need to be cleansed of our sin. And then we need the power to move forward. And to be able to do what we need to do, that is to, to overcome the things that we need to overcome. So water and the Spirit stand for the cleansing and the strengthening power of Christ, which wipes out the past and gives victory in the future. Okay, so that's what we're looking at, uh, being born again. And this whole process, theologically, is called regeneration. And it's a mystery. We don't understand it. Uh, we need to be regenerated. Um, when we become Christians, we're born again, meaning that we inherit a whole new nature. All right? And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, Nicodemus, you can't do it on your own. It's not a matter of just trying harder. Yet there, there has to be something. There has to be a power resident and a power that you can tap into. You need to be regenerated. It's, it's a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. So we need to have new life. We need to have a new nature. The old nature is not going to do it. We need a new nature. God initiates that. He gives us a new nature with the power to overcome the old nature. When we are regenerated, we move from being governed by our own sinful nature to being governed by Christ's spirit. We who were spiritually dead become spiritually alive. We who were separated by our sin from God's presence are brought into his presence. We who trusted in our own goodness and abilities trust in Christ. We who were lost become found. We become new creatures, transformed on the inside with a whole new operating system. So it's just like on a computer, you know. Um, you, you, if you have a new operating system, everything has to operate. Everything goes into that operating system and operates off of that operating. That's the, that's the core. And that's what Jesus is talking about. We need a new core. We need a new operating system so that we now can respond <coughs> because our inner being is fundamentally different. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Spiritual things require spiritual birth. That's what Jesus is saying. You cannot do it on your own. You need spiritual birth. You need to be born again. You need a brand new life. You need a new nature resident within you. 
Galatians 5.16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. So, Paul is saying, we've, we've got this problem, we don't do what we want, and so we need to um, live by the Spirit. Before we became Christians, we didn't have God's Spirit dwelling within us. Now we have God's Spirit dwelling within us so that we can be led by the Spirit instead of being led by the sinful nature. The old nature cannot produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It can't produce the, the fruit of the Spirit. Likewise, the sinful, or the sinful nature cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit cannot produce the things that the sinful nature does. And that's why Paul says they're in conflict with each other. They're, and they're totally opposite. One is from heaven, well, the other is from earth. We cannot gratify the desires of the sinful nature and be led by the Spirit at the same time. We obey one or the other. So, unless we are regenerated and have a new nature then, um, we, we cannot serve God. We, we cannot enter the kingdom of God. We cannot see the kingdom of God. That's Jesus', Jesus point. So how do we do that? Verse, verses 13 through 15. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So what's the way to it? Jesus said, believe on him. So how, you know, we, we can't do it. And the whole, that, you know, this whole uh, passage, the whole point of it is that you and I cannot obey God on our own. We cannot live a new life without the God's nature, God's spirit dwelling within us. We have to be born again. We need power for transformation. Romans 3, 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So we are, we are, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we are justified freely by his grace. And that's Jesus' point is that you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter in, uh, into spiritual things without spiritual rebirth. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the spirit. You have to be regenerated. Regener you cannot live the kind of life that you know you ought to live <coughs> without the spirit dwelling within us. We need to be born again, born from above, born with a new nature. How do we do that? We believe in Jesus. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came so that we could enter into the kingdom of God. We believe in Jesus that he is the answer to cleansing from sin and the source of a new nature created in the likeness of God. The result is peace with God, peace with each other, and peace with God and eternal life. That's what he's promising. So that's the, that's the God. That's, that's what Jesus came to bring. 
We can't do it by ourselves. And so many people try to, you know, are trying to live a good life, do everything that they can to live a good life, but they need to be born again. And so Jesus says, you know, you've, got, you've got to be born of the Spirit. We all have to be born of the Spirit. And I trust everybody here has been born of the Spirit. But I think it's so important that we realize that, you know, a lot of times we try to help people and so on. And what they need is they need to be born again. All right? It's not a matter of trying harder, being a better person, and so on. It's a matter of being born of the Spirit. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a great and mighty and wonderful God, that you gave your life so that we can have new life, so that we can be born again, so that we can enter into the kingdom of God, so that we can see the kingdom of God, so our eyes can be open to spiritual things. And we pray and lift up our families, we lift up our children, we lift up our friends, and those, Lord, who have not been born again, they don't know what it means to be born again. They don't know what it means to have spiritual life. I'm praying, Lord, that you'll give us wisdom to be able to lead them into a place of receiving Christ and believing in Christ so that they can have their sins forgiven, have the power for life, and have eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Lord God, we don't really know all the particulars of this situation. We we think that he may have been bitten by something. We're not sure what happened. But he uh, was given epinephrine, and it doesn't seem to have helped, which usually, that usually reverses the effects of an allergic bite. And we ask Jesus that you would just keep him in, your, in the center of your heart, Lord. Keep your eye upon him. Just comfort his wife. Comfort Gwen, Lord God. And comfort um, everybody who's been involved, who was there with him. If he's got EMTs around him, we hope he does. We hope he has medical personnel by now. We ask Jesus that you would give them wisdom to reverse whatever's going on. And this would be a miraculous recovery. And we pray for Robert and we pray for Linda as their hearts are completely upset by this, of course. And we just thank you that you have brought this to our attention, that we can continue to pray until we know a good result from your interaction with this situation. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Yeah.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we all want to be born again. We all need to be born again, Lord, so that your Spirit guides us in all we do. We can try to keep the rules, but if our Spirit is there, it will guide us through. It will pick us up when our sinful nature will try to pull us down. So, Lord, we invite you into all of us, and we especially ask you to keep an eye on Mead and take care of him, as we found some dear friends of ours, their their, uh, son-in-law, having having a, a terrible reaction. So, Lord, our hearts are with them, as we know yours is as well. This we lift in Jesus' name. Amen.